Hey guys, welcome to the I Don't Get It podcast. It's so crazy that in four full years, have we done it four full years? Yeah, I it's almost in, right. I always get confused yeah. with the minus three know, in my too. head. <laughs> I'm like four complete. No, I think it's I think it's three complete years, and we're on our fourth year. That's what it is. I know, That's but I'm not. always like ten minus seven is three, so 2017. <laughs> I get so confused. Right? No, I do too. So. After three complete years of the podcast, we've never had a plastic surgeon on, which is, well, to sound really vain and frivolous, <laughs> something that you'd expect from us. We do love the beauty industry. Yes. Um, and I feel like, and we've all had something in our face, <laughs> whether it's filler or Botox or in Lauren's case, actually going under the knife, uh, we, or what about the thread we one? What was, what was thread, that one called? Thread, the thread. The thread. Threads are non-invasive, so that, it's still you know, not natural. Somewhere in between. <laughs> oh, Nat, <laughs> before and after picture, I have to send it to you. Oh my god, Naz, her before and after picture is amazing. Well, really? You would have no idea that it made so much of a difference. I was going to say, someone asked me, "Can you tell the difference in Lauren's face?" Because I I forgot who it was. I told a friend that you got the threading, obviously, when you got it, Lauren. And I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I was like, I don't know if I like when I look at her that I tell like a major difference. I don't even notice that on my own face, and I see it every day. But then I look at the before and after. I'm like, I guess that's pretty good. I Wait, guess it's it pretty you? good. She just sent yeah. it to you. Look at it. Okay, I'm opening. I'm also smiling in one, but you really got to look at the tips of my eyebrows. It's just wow. the tips. Wow. Yeah, they really do. Are oh, now I want it. All right. Well, thank God we have someone joining. Ashley, you want to tell everyone yeah, it's, who's it's joining? Yeah, it's Dr. Charles. Dr. Charles. <laughs> Ew, what'd you there. eat? Um, nothing. Green juice? So, <laughs> so we have Dr. Charles Galanis on the podcast. You guys can check him out at his website. Doctor, It's GalanisPlasticSurgery.com. He's a Beverly Hills double board certified plastic surgeon. And uh, we're going to talk to him all about trends, uh, the things we're doing to our faces now and how they'll affect them possibly over time, and Mm. what is worth the money and what is not worth money. All the questions that you guys have had about plastic surgery. And let's get him on the podcast right now. All right. Here we go. Hello, guys. Hi. Hi. How are you? My God, I feel seriously, seriously outnumbered right now. <laughs> Do you feel the uh, female energy? I feel it. I feel like I should be. I don't know how you guys are seeing me on the screen, but it's like the for me, it's the four squares. I feel like I should be a little square in the middle, and you guys oh. should be all around me. I want to make all of you four. Oh, there we go! Yay! Okay, oh, there yeah. it is. I got to do that too. There we go. So you guys, Doctor, I chose to have Doctor Glennis on the podcast because he, um, well, you. You sort of employ my one of my facialists, Candace. Oh, Candace, yeah, she's yeah. So she's kind of your skin girl at your practice, right? Yes, we're just and- we're actually collaborating now. She and I, so I'm building a new office, and we're we were supposed to move into it a month ago, but now we're not moving in until July first. We hope, but mm-hmm. but she and I have been friends for years too. She's amazing. She loves you, by the way. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> well, I love her, and I I also chose you because. Uh, 
another one of Candace and my connections, Olga Lawrenson, says yeah. that you do her Botox like no one else has <laughs> ever done before. Oh, she shit. says that she look, she says that she feels like she has gone under the knife and gotten a forehead lift. Only when you do your her you, Botox. That's all I want. Same. <laughs> so no, I, I promise I'm no magician. I now that, that puts the pressure on me. Really, I wish you would have sold me a little bit lower than that. <laughs> I feel like we all whenever I get Botox above the eyebrows, it's it's yeah. this stupid muscle right here that always creates the arch when I just want it to be straight. But this is all irrelevant because no one's seeing us our faces right now. So just right, ignore of me. Course, of course. Well, let's we have a big list of questions for you, ranging from Botox to, you know, cool sculpting and lipo. But let's start with what we're talking about now, Botox. So I've been getting it since I was 26, and now I'm 32. Yeah. And I'm thinking, are the muscles in my forehead disintegrating? Is this going to have any long-term effect on me? Because sometimes I run my fingers on my forehead, and I'm like, there's a hole. There's a. I one time described it as like the Grand Canyon. There's like some <laughs> canyon in there, and I was like, I don't know if I ever had that before Botox. There's space. what's going on up there. Yeah, and yeah, are there any long term like studies on effects done by it yet? Mm-hmm. Right. So I mean, one of the concerns that people have with long term Botox is if it can kind of over time lead to some muscle atrophy. Meaning, because if you think about it, what Botox is doing is it's selectively and temporarily paralyzing or weakening a muscle for a period of time. Yeah. The whole point to that is so that we don't create some of the expressions that cause lines. The reality is I think if you, for most patients, I mean, it's still a pretty universally endorsed and supported means of kind of aging gracefully. It's not, it shouldn't make you look unnatural. It's just meant to sort of push back the time clock a little bit in terms of the, some of the signs of aging of the face. And we don't, we're not at a point now where we're saying, oh, don't do it for long-term because you're going to have problems. I mean, we're not there yet. We don't have any confirmed long-term, you know, ill effects insofar as people are doing it appropriately and you know you know under the care of someone who kind of knows what they're doing and actually i'm not saying that whoever you did yours didn't know what they were doing i don't i don't no. i don't see any lump on your head to support what you just said but, i don't i think i'm okay right now yeah but i do feel like um over time like when i used to like have it kind of disintegrate as in like you know, it starts wearing off after three right. months. It would just like, I would start seeing the lines form again or like just movement. But now I s- feel like the more, just over time, I'm getting like weirder spots. Yeah. Like, if that makes sense, like sometimes I'll raise my forehead and then it creases in a weird place, like not place that it would have pre-Botox. Sometimes Actually, you just want to book an appointment and talk about your yeah. own face. I know. <laughs> I know. This is- take this call private we're like all in the middle of a consultation can i ask a question that may uh appeal to one more people yeah thank you lauren yes yes okay so um how does botox in your head or where do you put botox in your face that help with um, migraines so the the most common place that people use it actually is very similar to where you place it for wrinkles so a lot of times i know people can't see us but in the forehead and in the space between the eyebrows okay in those muscles that they're they're kind of Think of them as trigger points for migraines. And so a lot of times by alleviating the stress that, that's from there, there's been there's pretty known beneficial impacts of migraines. There are some more advanced techniques where they'll inject elsewhere in the scalp, but that's not as common. Um, and in most cases for people, honestly, doing in those spots in the forehead and between the eyebrows is very effective. I have a patient awesome. who was during quarantine was begging me to do her Botox for that reason, actually. Are there other reasons like migraines, like health conditions or things that Botox can help 
um, mediate, I guess is the word. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the common things that we talk about for Botox medically is for something called hyperhidrosis, which is people that have excessive sweating. Um, and then for yeah, migraines, it can be helpful. Now, that being said, the person that was bothering me because of her migraines, I mean, it was kind it of- It wasn't just for migraines. <laughs> Hell no. And as she hears this, she'll know exactly who she is. Actually, now that we're on this topic, I do have a question because, you know, the world has been on lockdown most of 2020. I have seen posts that there are a lot of celebrities that have secretly paid or begged their plastic surgeons or doctors to come to their house to perform plastic surgery on them because in their eyes, quarantine's a perfect time to sort of get something done and recover. Have yeah. you gotten any of those calls? Have you heard about this in the industry rumor mill? Yeah. So the, I would say in the industry, the thing that a lot of people were at, were looking for was not necessarily surgery, but there were certainly people kind of on the hunt for fillers or Botox or some kind of maintenance sort of treatment. My suspicion is because a lot of these people were still being seen, whether it was on Zoom or something else. And so it was still, even though we were kind of shut off from things, there was a certain, you know, unfortunately there's this kind of crazy beauty standard that's out there. And some people are just trying to maintain that look even while they're in the midst of quarantine. And especially people who are not really divulging that they're doing things. So they're just trying to maintain their look because that's their quote unquote natural look. Right. So they're just trying to maintain that. Now, I know there were people in Beverly Hills operating during the entire quarantine, which was horrible. What? Yeah. There were, there were surgeons that were doing it. I, I don't know personally of any celebrities that were kind of engaging in that, but I know there were surgeons that were doing it, um, which is crazy. I mean, it was just wrong on just about every which way something can be wrong. So, but I know it did happen. I know totally, it wasn't. Totally wrong. Yeah. However, and not just, what, a, yeah. What a great time to recover. <laughs> Well, the funny thing is, is well, well that's this, what they were. That's what everyone's that's thinking. That's why they wanted to but do you know it. What? Yeah, it still is though, because the crazy thing that's happened is that now the, the ban was sort of lifted more or less on people doing surgeries. Well, people are still at home, so a lot of people are still confined to home or working from home. So for a lot of people, I've had a crazy rush when we got back because people, it's still a great time for them to recover. Yeah, yeah um, right. Because you're not like you don't. People aren't forcing you to go out back to work in the exactly. office. Like if you felt more comfortable working from home, perfect time to get plastic surgery. Yeah, and work exactly. From home. <laughs> people are on Zoom meetings where they're just turning their video function off and still yeah. on the Zoom meeting. What's oh, funny? Right. Here's a funny thing. I was doing these like uh, remote consults during quarantine, and I, I'd have one of my coordinators on with me. And you know how you can replace your video feed with just a picture of yourself? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'd be there like in trying to look, you know, nice, my patient's there. And my coordinator would have this like glam <laughs> picture of her, just like a <laughs> shot. And I'm like, this is total bullshit. This is ridiculous. It's if totally only true. we, if only when like things go back to normal, we could just put a cardboard cut out of ourselves right? to show up to a meeting yeah, and like link it to our cell phone or something. All right, DGers, it is time for me to tell you about, honestly, my ultimate favorite sponsor. You guys know I talk about therapy. I've had my own therapist, Dr. Mike, on the podcast. I believe in um, getting licensed professional help so, so much. So it really warms my heart to tell you um, about our sponsorship with BetterHelp. So BetterHelp is a place that will connect you with a licensed professional therapist. And what's so amazing is that it's so convenient because you can connect with them in a safe and private online environment and you can start communicating with someone in under 24 hours. This isn't like a self-help thing. It is 100% professional counseling and you can actually send a message to your counselor anytime you're in need. And that's what I love about it because a lot of the times we don't know when we're you know, going to be feeling some type of way and if we can't 
I don't know. You know, it just gets complicated when you have to actually go into an office, sit in a waiting room, like schedule, put someone on the books. This is way more convenient and a lot more helpful, honestly, um, because I know we are all feeling the feels in 2020. So you will actually get a timely and thoughtful response um, and you can schedule weekly video and phone sessions. Um, And you can go to them for anything. You know, if you're feeling depression, anger, family conflicts, LGBTQ matters, relationships, anxiety, sleeping, trauma, self-esteem. And what's great is that anything you share is confidential. So not only is it convenient, professional, um, it's also affordable, which is the best. And if you guys don't believe me, you can actually check out testimonials that they've posted daily on their website. Um, But I do want to note that it's not a crisis line. But... We really want you to start living a happier life today. So as a listener, you're going to get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash get it. Join over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash get it. Um, what are like the benefits um, of like going to a plastic surgeon for Botox or fillers opposed to like a med spa? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it depends on who's injecting at the med spa. Some med spas have physicians injecting, some have nurse practitioners, some have PAs. You need to be, uh, there's a certain, in California, you need to be basically a nurse practitioner, a physician's assistant, or a physician to do it. Okay. Um, I'm not too, you know, I think it doesn't necessarily have to be a plastic surgeon per se, but it should be someone with adequate training and experience. I think you're probably safer. You're certainly going to be safer in the hands of a plastic surgeon because there's a baseline knowledge of anatomy that all plastic surgeons are going to have. Mm-hmm. I think dermatologists or a lot of dermatologists do good work with Botox too. I mean, they, they okay. certainly can be knowledgeable about that area. I think nurse practitioners, when you get into the sort of PAs and nurse practitioners, it can vary, right? It depends on their experience. You could have a nurse practitioner who started last week, or if you'd have someone who's been doing it for 10 years. And so it's kind of, I think when you go to med spas if, where you don't know, it's a little bit scarier because you don't know who you're going to get. Whereas if you go to an actual, whether it's plastic surgery practice or something else, you know who you're going to see and you can kind of do your due diligence. But a lot of med spas, it's just like whoever's there. Yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people are asking us what kinds of questions can they ask to ensure that they're in a safe office getting a good doctor? I think if, if it comes to a plastic surgeon, you want someone who's board certified in plastic surgery. So a lot of surgeons will say they're board certified in surgery. That just means general surgery. Board certified in plastic surgery means they went through a full plastic surgery training and took all the exams and did all the testing and got board certified. If you have, I think board certified in facial plastic surgery is good too. That's another, that's a separate distinction. And then if you're a dermatologist, board certified in dermatology. Now, when you're talking about a nurse practitioner, I think just asking that they're a licensed nurse practitioner or a licensed physician's assistant um, and that they have experience. Um, you know, that's that's kind of what you want to, you want to get a handle on someone's experience. When someone's practicing as like a nurse practitioner, like practicing on patients, like how many do they Lauren, not- you mean like getting you mean getting experience? experience? Like do yeah. these patients not pay for like their practice or like a minimal amount? Do you want the the scary answer or the real answer? Uh, uh, the both? real answer. <laughs> I mean, I guess they're both, both. That's yes. a fake answer. So the, the scary thing is that listen, on, on whether you're a plastic surgeon or you know, nurse practitioner, at some point, everyone's inexperienced. Mm-hmm. So at some point, everyone is kind of perfecting or, or getting better at their craft and building experience with patients that they're seeing or people that they're seeing. Um, it seems, it would seem logically to me to follow that if you're going to a med spa and it's cheap, you're probably paying for people that are either not as qualified or not as experienced, because if they were, they're not going to be somewhere that's cheap. Okay. You know? um, but there, it's not like there's a, there's a, a nurse practitioner goes to 
a year long course where they're just practicing with people. I mean, they'll get, they'll get licensed and have a few patients, maybe they follow someone, but at some point they're just doing it on their own and kind of, you know, getting experience on patients that they're seeing as bad as that sounds. Perfect segue into my next question, which is, and don't take this the wrong way, but maybe when you were starting out early, maybe it was, I don't know, the last time you worked on someone, when have you ever sort of like fucked up and been like, (laughs) Like, what was your biggest, like, fail? (laughs) (laughs) Man, that's a way to put me on the spot. Well, that's what I want to know. I mean, no one's perfect, right? But No, I mean, we have an an expression in plastic surgery where someone that tells you they have no complications is either a liar or they haven't operated enough. Right, Um, exactly. And I I tell patients, you know, I'm not one of these people, because I'll see revision stuff a lot. And and because I I work with Paul Nassif from Bosch, he sends me all... I work with him where he sends me patients that come through have body surgery that didn't go well, not with him, but they come mm-hmm. through because of his affiliation with that show. So mm-hmm. I see a lot of revision work. And what, what I tell people, cause people, I, I never bash the surgeon because great surgeons have days, but they have outcomes that they're not happy about. It may be, and it may not be the surgeon's fault. It could it may not be the patient's fault. It could just be something that went a certain way. As far as my personal experience in, in aesthetic medicine, I mean, if I had outcomes, I'm not, you know, screaming from mountaintops about how happy I'm. Yeah. There's not one that sticks out that I was like, wow, I really fucked this person up. I can't really say I have something like that. Thank God. But, um, but there've been (laughs) outcomes where it's like, I mean, and I'll say this in a general sense, there've been outcomes where, and I'll tell patients this, if there's something I can identify that I did wrong or I can correct, I'll do it without charging a fee. Like I'm not just like, well, we got to go back and you got to pay me money. And most surgeons will do that. I mean, if it's something that they can identify because the way the way you should look at it is a person paid you for a result. And if you did something, if you kind of fell short in a way that you can identify, you should sort of do what you can to get them to the result. Um, so I guess I'm kind of skirting your answer a little bit, but I, I can't think of one that jumps out that like, oh man, I really screwed this person up. But I have certainly have had complications. I've had things that have out that I had to deal with. Have you had people come in and be like, I want this done. And then you're like, oh geez. Like I can make it better, but this thing's never going to be great. Like, yeah. Well, so this is, I mean, it's a good question. This is the question. Like, when do you say no? Yeah. And I, and I sort of, the, the political or the diplomatic way I'd say there's three situations where I'll say no. One is if the timing isn't right, like with someone who's actively losing weight or they're looking to get pregnant or they just gave birth. So the timing isn't quite right. Uh, one is where it's not safe. They got other health problems. They got other situations where it would just put them at unnecessary risk. And then the third thing is, I'll just say is I'm afraid I can't meet your expectations. And that's okay. the way of saying that, look, I'm, I, and I, and I'll tell them honestly, I said, look, I'm, I love operating, but I'm not a thief. And I feel like if I do this surgery, I'm just taking money from you and you're not going to be happy. Wow. And I think most people respond well to that. If they don't respond, if they don't respond well to that, I'm probably not the right doctor for them anyway. Man. Are but, people still coming in, um, you know, with photos of a Snapchat filter on their face asking <laughs> for that? Uh-huh. God, yeah. or, or bo- I will see a lot of modified bodies and yeah. I can, and I know they're modified because I've seen these people in real life as patients. Wait, what do you and mean? What, what's modified bodies? Like, a, it's like the, I, I have, I've had influencer patients, for example, who I will see them and then I'll see their Instagram profiles and that's not what their body looks like. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll make changes. They'll make their waist smaller, their hips bigger. They'll alter things. Face and so, down. Right. And so I'll have patients then coming in saying, can you make my body look this? And I look at them and I say, even that patient can't make their body look like that. Like, wow. it's not- like I know that girl and that's not what she looks like. So just- yeah. and, and so sometimes I have to rein that in. I mean, and so it's, it's, it's difficult sometimes because it's, and I'm, you know, this is the irony in this is I'm part of the problem, right? I mean, I'm part of the, I'm part of the, 
I'm part of an industry that perpetrates these ideals that can make it worse. And so I have a weird sort of, I'm, I'm both sides of the same coin and I have a responsibility on some level to kind of rein people in and not sort of promote self-loathing or insecurity, but at the same time, trying to help people with something that they just want for themselves, you know, and it, it can be tricky, ter- it can be tricky terrain sometimes. I love that. I think that there's a very gray area. And I think like when Ashley said in the beginning of this podcast, we like me, Ashley and Lauren, like love this stuff. Like we're willing to get it, but obviously you are beautiful the way you are. And I think there's people that are on, you know, there's people that think, you know, if I want to get a nose job, I should be able to get a nose job, but mm-hmm. it's totally almost better to believe that you don't need anything because you actually don't. Well, what it's, you know, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but this is the, you want the corny way I approach this, but I, I really mean it. I mean, I, I promise you this is not bullshit. It's like what I really believe because I do yes. love what I do, but I know that what I do gets stigmatized a lot and, I, and it's an easy target and I get it. What I tell people is that what I do, it's a big myth that plastic surgery is the beauty business. It's not. It's the confidence business. It has absolutely nothing to do with beauty. And, I, and what I tell patients is that you know, I have a stupid job. I mean, my job is delivering a service that no one needs. I mean, I tell everyone, you're, you're already beautiful when you walked in the door. You're not, this is not a, I'm not here to make you beautiful. And I'm not here to tell you what you need because you don't need anything. My job is to really listen to people and what it is that is holding them back from being their most confident or their best selves. Mm-hmm. Where, where what they're seeing in the mirror doesn't match with what they feel inside. And it's mm-hmm. holding them back. They're not confident what they wear, whatever. It's not for anyone else, but it's for themselves. My job is to listen to that and just give them what options are available to address those things that are still safe, that are within like, you know, that are still within the standard of care. That's it. Not to tell them what they need though. Do you kind of like, I don't want to say play shrink, but like, do you have like a conversation with your parent, like your patients, like about their like mental state, like their emotional state and like how many, like if they're truly trying, how many people like come out of the procedure and they're they get this new sense of confidence and then how many are still disappointed afterwards because like it wasn't like their life or their mentality about themselves changed much from it. So you would think I get, oh, first of all, I do speak to my parents a lot. Thank you very much, Lauren. But <laughs> second of all- <laughs> Did, you, um, did I say parents? Yeah, I, my, well, I, was, I mean, you, you would think that you get a lot more of people. I mean, what you're sort of hinting at are people whose insecurity is so powerful that no matter what their outcome, they're still going to be insecure about something. And- You'd be surprised. It's, it's not really the case. Most, pe- most people I see, whether men or women, are actually like highly functional, confident people in their own right. And this is just something that's holding them back. And they have a, as long as they have a reasonable understanding of expectations, they do well afterward. It's not like they're, you know, they come in still upset. And as far as playing shrink when I meet them, not really. I mean, you can, you can sift out pretty quickly who's going to be a problem patient or who's there for the wrong reasons. And it's mm-hmm. not that common. I think most people have They've thought up. They've thought about it. They're paying a consult fee because they've really put serious thought into it, and and you know they're coming into it with a pretty level head. What um, about like Michael Jackson syndrome? Yeah. Have you ever just been like, uh, no, sorry, not touching it. You've done too much already. Well, that that goes to that number three. That goes to that you know not meeting your expectation. You know, and I and that's that that's when I say that it kind of encompasses a lot of territory. Where if it's someone, it's a it could be a gentle way of saying I don't know what you're seeing, but I don't see that, mm-hmm. and. But it's but it's saying, you know, I don't think I hear what you're saying. I just don't think I can deliver something that you're going to be satisfied. You know, I'm just not your doctor. So, because, yeah, because there are I've had some people with some crazy requests and you just had to politely say no. I mean, I had someone <laughs> right before quarantine or a little bit before I had, I had a woman that 
asked for filler in her um, vagina, in her, in, not her vagina, in her, like in the, in the labia. It's like we have um, vaginal rejuvenation for that rather than yeah. just injecting it. Like Not, we can fix yeah. that another way. We wanted way. more volume. She wanted to plump up the other lips. And I was like, <laughs> what? what? Another option, See, but she really just wanted to But that makes me sad. It's like no, we, no. as women, it's like we, there's so many different parts of our bodies that we think need to like look a certain way. Like she, yeah, that's, it, that's, a, that's an extreme example I've never heard of. Yeah, you know. and I had neither. I mean, that was new to me. I mean, I of course I did it, but no, I'm kidding. I, it, it, <laughs> no, that was new to me too. But I think again, that's those are outliers. I mean, most people are very, you know, they have. It's become so much more common, especially in Southern California. I mean, it's far more common here. But right. you know, it's it's a common thing, and that mo- and so most people come in not too outrageous with the request. Why What's did the you... youngest person operated on? <laughs> that's well, not I mean, like reconstructive. Not like, re- so youngest yeah. cosmetic. Yes. Um, well, I've done a breast reduction on a 16-year-old, which technically is not reconstructive, but I mean, it's sort of, that's, that was a quality of life issue. You know, someone who couldn't participate in gym class had really bad pain. Um, and so that that's more, and usually you try to wait, but it was just a function where she just, it was, couldn't live like that. So, yeah. so I've done teenagers, but you know, most of my patients are 21 and over. What um Lauren got a nose job at 14. Do you judge our parents? <laughs> Everyone no, in my no, high school no. got their boobs done 11th and 12th grade. That's yeah, crazy. You can, I mean, if you have parental consent, you can do these things. Yeah. I had I did have one patient who came in for fat transfer to the butt where she was she got parental consent because her birthday was coming up, so she had the consult before she was old enough to consent for the surgery. Yeah, it's it's a tough one, man. When you, when I'm dealing, I I try to avoid that if at all possible. Um, I just think when you're talking about, for it depends on the case, an individual person, and it's not to say a young person doesn't know what they want or need. But I think in a lot of cases, if you can hold off a little bit, it's better. You're talking so about you don't know what your face is going to turn out like, right? Yeah. Or how you're going to feel years later. If there's ever a time to say thank you to our health workers, um, our doctors, our nurses, it is now. And if you have a male in your life who happens to be a father like ours and is in the medical profession, then maybe this is the best time for you to get figs for Father's Day. If you don't know what figs is, it's an amazing company who's had the backs of these awesome humans since 2013. They create ridiculously soft modern scrubs that help healthcare workers look good, feel good, and perform at their best. In response to COVID-19, figs has donated over 30 thousand sets of scrubs to hospitals across the country and donated a hundred thousand dollars to the frontline responders fund to help ship ppe and supplies and has sent hundreds of care packages to those who need it the most figs is not just an amazing clothing company for medical professionals but they also do such good other things Figs are packed with tons of cool features and functionality. They have their own kind of fabric, which has a microbial technology. It also has a four-way stretch. It's moisture wicking. It's anti-wrinkle. And it's liquid repellent. So that's pretty awesome. Plus, it has lots and lots of pockets. Um, Some of their styles have over 10 pockets, which is incredibly useful when you got pens, a stethoscope, um, pen light, scissors, tape, alcohol pads, all that stuff that they have 
to carry around all day. And they come in a whole bunch of different colors and styles, classic V-neck, straight leg pants, to more fashion forward things like collared shirts and jogger pants, which sound much more comfy than those scratchy, uncomfortable, unflattering scrubs at the hospital. Um, And by the way, these are far more flattering. So you're not going to feel like your butt is a pancake. So I think that we're in the period where it's more important than ever to recognize all these selfless medical professionals in our lives and honestly, even the ones that aren't. But if they're in your life, you can buy them a pair of figs. So if you want to say thank you with a set of scrubs, figs has your back because they're offering our I Don't Get It listeners 15% off for a limited time. Just go to wearfigs.com and enter the promo code Get it 15 at checkout. It's where figs, W E A R F I G S dot com, and enter the promo code get it 15 at checkout. All right, now back to the show. Why did you want to go into this profession? I feel like when I look at like a profession like stand up comedy, I'm like, wow, all those people are brave. And I feel like you have to have certain characteristics. When I thought you, you were about at, to say, and you're clearly not brave. No, so no, no. Brave? <laughs> I think it's, I think I just want to know more about the intellect and the psyche behind wanting to cut into someone and like change um, the way they look. So I, you know, I think when you're, when you decide to go into, first of all, I had a little bit of a weird career path. I got into, I applied and I got into med school when I was 18. So I got in at a young age. I kind of committed to that. Are you a brainiac? No, I, I just was, I was a, I don't know. I just had some opportunities that presented themselves when I was younger. So I was able to get in earlier, but I still went to college and got a college degree, but I was accepted into med school when I was young. So I didn't even have to take the MCAT. So I set, I set my path in medicine early because, and for me at the time, I think admittedly, I was probably had influence from parents and things like that. Like what does an 18 year old know about what they want to do for their life? So it worked out at the time. It was the medicine decision was I love science and I love people. And that was a field that united both more than anything else. So that was the first step. When it, come, when it came to surgery, I think the, the biggest fork in the road for people finishing med school is first, do you want to be a surgeon or don't you? That's the first like fork mm-hmm. because in surgery, there's a lot of paths. There's cancer surgery, cardiothoracic, trauma, ortho, plastics, et cetera. And initially when I chose that, it was because I like working with my hands. I'm inpatient and, I'm, and I just, it, it, str- it struck me as the most challenging. And I think I was a glutton for self-punishment. Like I, I had this like, I got to do the hardest thing kind of mentality, mm-hmm. which is sort of immature in a way, but I, but that's what was driving me then. And then when I kind of got into surgery, initially I did general surgery first. So I did a general surgery residency at Johns Hopkins on the East coast. And I thought I was going to do, I thought I was going to do cancer surgery. That's what I, that was kind of what I initially wanted to do. And then I found that I liked putting things together more than I liked taking them apart. And that kind of got me on the path of plastics. And then I was, I used to do mostly reconstructive and over the last seven years, it kind of migrated almost exclusively to cosmetic. And I'll tell you one thing I was surprised at. When I did reconstructive, I always thought that that would be the most fulfilling. You know, these are patients who are cancer patients, accidents, whatever, and how fulfilling it would be to get them back. I have found that in in cosmetic, it can be just as fulfilling. I mean, it's just as life-changing for some of these people. And so that, which makes my job better. Um, So I I just, for me with plastics, I I love, I've always been a fan of art. I don't consider myself an artist, but I've always done like sketch art. And I've just, I've always appreciated beauty for the sake of beauty, not, not for the sake of a societal standard, but, and just the, there's a technical aspect to it that in plastic surgery, your work is, is visible to the naked eye. So it really calls for the, you know, high level of precision, 
and meticulous detail. And, and I like that challenge. Um, I don't have to deal with insurance companies, which is huge. I mean, from a practical standpoint, I can tell you in medicine, insurance companies are a disaster. It's, it's a pain in the ass. And so if you want to be, if, and, I, and I like the idea that I could be a business owner, I could be a small business. In private practice and plastics, I can be a small business owner. I don't have to be beholden to a hospital or an insurance company or hospital group. Right. So a lot of answers to that. That was kind of my path to it. And I, I mean, I love it. I feel very fortunate. I love what I do. It's not perfect, but I, I really do enjoy it. That was kind of my reasons. All right. Now we have a whole bunch of questions about like the specifics. Specific procedures. <laughs> well, let's talk about plastic surgery well, now. No, I, I mean, like, I guess, like, I guess. Actually, what do you what I mean is, I don't know. Okay, here's what I'm saying. Now I have specific procedures that I want to go down a list of. Okay. Like, Good. Is well, Ky- done. well done. Thank you. Yes. Is Kybella bullshit? Is it really just the long way of getting lipo in your chin area? So let me give a disclaimer. Obviously, everything I'm going to say from here forward is just my opinion. And it may, some people may disagree. It doesn't mean I'm right and they're wrong. So I'm just okay. going to give you my opinion. Okay. And okay. I, I admit, I don't know everything and maybe my opinion is wrong on some things, but whatever, it's my opinion. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of Kybella. So the way Kybella works is it usually requires more than one treatment. It's a, it's basically an acid that when you inject it, it's naturally occurring in the body. It breaks down the fat over time and it can take several treatments. The on-label use was for under the, under the chin. So the on-label use was for the neck. That, and they thought it was going to be big. They hired Khloe Kardashian. They thought it was going to just explode and it didn't. It turned out to be a huge money loser. And the reason is, they found that, first of all, people needed multiple treatments, which ended up cost-wise almost being the same as if they'd just gotten neck lipo in the first place. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not it, – it hurts. So people would have pain and swelling. Yeah, everybody says like that. Four, it's four, four sessions of pain and swelling. Yeah, it could be. And, and you if just you go under the knife and then you could have that wiped out. Exactly. Now, look, there are some people that were just – Die, you know, just absolutely opposed to surgery, and that's fine. So that for those people, that's okay. Now they've started using it for off-label uses, like we'll go. You know, some some people complain of the fat here, right there, but that's off-label, so it's not as openly talked about. Um, Wait, the can you describe is- what? Since people aren't seeing us, you were oh, pointing so to like, the ar- yeah. sort of the armpit fat area. Yeah, armpit like fat, armpit, armpit fat in the front. Like, does that it area. work for that? It can, but like, here's the other thing. When you're talking about a, what I call a non-surgical technique, whether it's cool sculpting or Kybella, you need to be prepared to spend money and see no result. You need to be okay with that because it's possible. You need to be okay with the notion that it's just not going to work for you. Um, and that's, that's the problem I have with it is that, you know, you just, you don't, you can't say for sure. You're sort of leaving it in the hands of something as opposed to doing an actual operation, which you know exactly what's going to get done. Yeah. So I'm not a huge fan of it. I feel like I just have a, from an ethical standpoint, taking money from people on something I don't think works. And I don't, I think most plastic surgeons have abandoned it. Um, there are a couple people that still try to hang their hat on it, but it's, it's generally not a good way to go, especially for under the chin, because the surgery, you can do it awake and it's the recovery is minimal. You can do it awake. Yes. Lipo under the chin. Yeah. You can do You can be awake for it. You can just get a mild sedative. You inject numbing medicine there and you're awake when you do it. I've done it a bunch of times and it's very well tolerated, believe it or not. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Easier than Kybella. I mean, yeah. I guess if you can get your wisdom teeth taken out awake, you could get your chin, yeah, you your know, neck cut off awake. Miserable. Did you guys ever get your wisdom teeth out? Yeah. Yeah. They had to break mine into pieces. I remember hearing the crunch as yeah, that. It's the worst. Yeah, it's the worst. It's the worst. Yeah. Actually, you know who I'm good friends with too, Ashley, that we know is Chris Strandberg. Oh, no way. Yeah, our dentist. Cupcake. Yeah. Mine too, technically. But yeah, that was <laughs> really <laughs> That's so funny. Well, Naz was his producer on the on the show. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Wait, I have a question before you go into another procedure, Ash. Yeah. Why is this shit so expensive? And is it <laughs> is it actually... I, I look at a Nike sneaker, right? And we right. get to know the actual cost of what it what it takes to make that and what we pay for it here in the States. What is the actual labor cost of plastic hmm. surgery and how much are we paying more than that, like... Could you talk about plastic surgery in general? The cost of plastic surgery? I guess surgery? to what you can speak to, yeah. yeah I mean, sure. obviously there's a bunch of, you know, there's breast implants, there, but no, overall, this is a great, no, this is it's a all question. expensive. It's all very, yeah. very expensive. Yes. It's, it's I a guess great it's like, question, and it's very timely because I was actually writing a social media post about this before the world slipped into chaos, and I just thought that may not be the best time to talk about plastic surgery costs. <laughs> yeah, um, so that when you think of surgery, you got to think of, first of all, there's three costs. There's the surgeon fee, which is what I get. There's the anesthesia fee, obviously the anesthesiologist, and there's something called the facility fee. And then there's, mis- like, technically, there's miscellaneous costs, like the implants, the garments, the medic- stuff like that. So the facility fee is usually the first hour in an operating room usually costs between $1,000 and $1,500 just for an hour in the operating room. That's with nobody in it. It's just, that's the operating room. Mm-hmm. Anesthesia is usually, in, it's going to vary geographically. You know, Beverly Hills is going to cost more than Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is- Our dad's an anesthesiologist. There you go. So- We love that fee. <laughs> but, so their, but their fee might be, let's say, $500 an hour, maybe the first hour or something. So, so right, right away, before the surgeon has stepped in the room in the first hour, you, you're on the hook for $2,000. You don't have an implant. You don't have a surgeon of anything. It's just two grand. Now, the surgeon fee is going to be based on a lot of things. So what, the, way, the way I try to tell people, no one's ever going to feel sorry for a plastic surgeon. So they're, they're trying to like, explain why a plastic surgeon needs to charge a lot is never a conversation I'm going to win. But I tell <laughs> people that if you look at the fact that the average debt, for example, the plastic surgeon coming on practice is between two hundred and fifty dollars and $300,000 when, they, mm-hmm. when they're done with everything. Wow. And on top of that, you're talking about people that are large, large, you know, are running a small business. You know, I employ people, I have rent, I've got, you know, we have malpractice, which can be 50,000 a year. There's a lot of costs associated with being a plastic surgeon, a lot of costs associated with getting to the point of being a plastic surgeon that have to be kind of factored in it realistically. Now, the, the surgeon fee is going to vary based on the surgeon's demand and their experience. So someone who's just out is going to have a hard time charging you the, the top rate in Beverly Hills versus someone who's proven themselves to be very good at what they do and has a lot more experience under their belt. And that's where the, the variability in the cost can, can be. And also geographically, like I said, it's, you know, I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm pretty sure it's cheaper to get plastic surgery in Milwaukee, Wisconsin than Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that some of that is, you know, that's just the way it is. Does that answer your question? Kind of? Yeah, that's really thorough. Um, I understand now. That's, that's why. Got bills to pay. How am I supposed to feed my dog? That's very important. I'm kidding. You guys can cut that out with editing. Just cut no. that out. With editing. <laughs> no, no. Speaking of money, an answer when you throw a dog in there. Yeah. 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 Speaking of money, uh, do you think things like cold sculpting and M sculpt are worth it? Um. Oh man, you, you guys are going to get me in so much trouble. Shit. No, we love the honesty. It makes us oh. feel so good that okay. we like are saving ourselves money and just going in for the things that actually work. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool sculpting can work. Okay. I'm not going to say cool sculpting doesn't work. It hasn't become such a stalwart in the industry because it doesn't work. But again, what I tell people is the same thing I said earlier. You have to be okay with spending money and not doing anything. Mm-hmm. I would tell anyone going to get cool sculpting, it might work, but you have to get, you have to be okay with in your mindset of you, that you're taking a little bit of a risk. You're rolling the dice a little bit. And there's a chance it's not going to work. When I do liposuction, I can point to the 
I can show, I mean, not like anyone wants to see that, but I can show the fat that was removed. You know, I can, I have a physical, like, right, it was in your body, now it's in this canister, it's gone. And it weighs. Cool yeah, and cool sculpting can't do that. You're sort of, let's put this pad on and let's wait and see and hope that something works. So as long as people are okay with that risk, I think it's fine in the right and properly selected patients. Mm. Um, but, but it's not necessarily for everyone, but everyone needs to be okay with the risk. When it comes to lipo, I'm thinking, okay, so let's just say you take three pounds off on that side, three pounds off on that side. Is it better that, okay, like, what do you suggest people work out and, like, really try to diet before going into lipo? And, like, at what point in dieting and exercising do you say, okay, this fat is so stubborn, we should probably just suck it out? Great question. I, there's two answers to this that I think are valid. The first situation is I'll tell people, Look, I'm a doctor first, so I'm I'm always and I'm a fit person. I believe in fitness, so I'm always for going the health you know as healthier route as you can first, non-surgical. So max out what you can get with diet and exercise. When you hit a wall, when and and people listen, we all have honest conversations with ourselves. We know when we're putting in the time. We know when we're eating right. We know when we're doing all the things, and we know when we're not. We know when we're kidding ourselves. And if you get to the point where you're doing everything you can with whatever your lifestyle demands are, some people work a lot of jobs. They got kids at home. You know, they, they do the best that they can. If you're stuck at that point and you've done everything you can, great. Let's do what we can together. The other option is there are some people where I've done lipo at the front end and they are they've been they invest money in themselves and they get a result they're so happy with that they're inspired afterward to be like, God, I really I don't want this to go to waste, mm-hmm. or I've seen some improvement and I want to take it to the next level. I've seen some pretty dramatic transformations that way too. So I think either one is okay. I don't think that there's a there's a wrong answer there. I, I try to, you know. I would probably say do the best you can first, save your money if you can, you know, don't subject yourself to risk of a surgery if you can first, but, but that's okay if, if people are not up for that. Does the fat go back after liposuction? Does it go back in the same place? No. So the way to think about that is there's a set number of fat cells in your body. We all, you have the same number that you had when you were, you know, whatever age. Now they get bigger or smaller. You go to in and out three times a day for, you know, hundred days in a row, your fat cells are going to get bigger. Now, when you do lipo, you're removing those fat cells permanently, okay? Oh. So the number of fat, so those fat cells where you take the body from that part of the body are gone forever. Now, there's still going to be some left there that can get bigger. So a common question I'll get from patients is, oh, well, if I gain weight, will, it, will, will the fat move to another area? I've never seen someone who gains, gains a ton of weight where it's like they have a giant, you know, left flank and everything else is tiny. It doesn't go like that. You're still going to put weight on everywhere. You might put it on a little bit disproportionately in areas you didn't have lipo, but not to the point of looking disfigured. So that, but that fat is gone forever. So if you maintain yourself, you're going to maintain that result for a long, long time. And so in that case, do you think lipo is a good way of being artistic about the body and kind of sculpting it and chiseling it away? Because people say that you can only like, when it comes to targeted exercises, it only goes so far. Right. But with lipo, like you can actually sculpt like the woman's physique to be super hourglass. I feel like I just fed you a question, Ashley. That was <laughs> perfect. Because so, all right, I'm going to give you guys a little, I'll give you some, some controversy here. I'll give you a little okay. bit. I think the training that is done for American surgeons in plastic surgery for liposuction is dog shit. I think that the training we get for lipo is pretty garbage. And I think it's, I think a lot of time is spent on other things that may be seen as, you know, it, that are admittedly probably more complex. 
But what's happened, I think, in, in a lot of U.S. training programs is, is just we give this very basic, yeah, do this and just use these cannulas and that'll, that's lipo and good luck. In places like South America, they, that's not what happened. They, they kind of took body sculpting to new heights, you know, in the last decade or two. And so for me, it was a few years ago where I just was unsatisfied with the results. And I'm not just pointing at other people. I was sort of unsatisfied with what I was seeing in my patients. And yet I was still having patients coming to me for this. So I actually went down to Columbia and trained with the guy who invented essentially what you're talking about, which is high-def lipo. Oh, and it what's it called? High-def lipo? Hold on, I'm frozen. Are you guys frozen? You're frozen. You're frozen. My forehead's frozen. Ha, 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 There we go. There we go. Got you. <laughs> I don't know where. Very, very. You said you went down to Columbia. All right. So I went down to Columbia and, and I worked with the guy who invented high def lipo. And, and basically it, it completely changed how I approach these cases. And I love doing them now. And most of what I, a big part of my practice now is doing exactly what you're talking about is creating results that are more reflective of kind of athletic contours, but not in an unnatural way. Um, but you do sort of, you are sculpting specifically targeting areas, which kind of yield a more athletic result and not just like a small, you're not just debulking and making people a smaller version of themselves. You're actually creating some contours and you're creating that sort of more of a toned look. And it's something that as they take care of themselves, it looks even better. I love do I love doing those cases. Can you, well. I mean, you can't tell us how, but like, is it just taking fat cells out in a different way? Or are you just extracting yes. in a different way? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple things. There's a, there's technologies that are involved that I use. There's something called, I mean, I use something called BASER, which sounds like laser, but it actually, it's an acronym. It stands, it stands for vibration, amplification, sound, energy at resonance, which is, I think it was just a fancy marketing term so that it would sound like laser, but it's actually an ultrasound device. So I use that in conjunction with liposuction and I use a, a radio frequency energy uh, skin tightening treatment afterwards. And then it's just the way that you map out the body and the way that you sort of you know, there is an art, artistry to sort of knowing what the what a woman or a man's anatomy is to kind of target it appropriately. So you're removing fat a little bit more in certain areas than others. You know, it's not just an even removal. You're sort of targeting some areas more than others. Is there, I'm not going to call them out by name because I know that a certain Beverly Hills plastic surgeon recently got into some hot water about speculation over somebody. Um, but there's a certain first family-ish of America would you say that they have been sculpted through these types of technologies? I think <laughs> what? I, I think that there's a, um, I mean, look, I think it's a technique that's been out there that a lot of people have employed, um, some in the public eye and some not. I think more and more people not in the public eye are getting it done. But I think you're, I'll tell you what, if you go on social media, it's per, I can, you can, there's some telltale signs for people that have had it done where maybe it wasn't done that well. Um, but I, I see it a lot more now. If you, and, and honestly, it's ubiquitous in South America. I mean, if you go, I, like, I have so many. I just got out of cosmetology school, and so many people there went, flew down to South America to get yeah. Brazilian butt lifts and all of that, you know, moving fat around. And they're like, it's so much cheaper, and they made my ass look enormous. So, I was, so that actually makes a lot of sense. There was, well, like, that's so dumb. Why are you doing yeah. that? But there are, and there are some good surgeons down there. That the problem with going down there for doing that is there's no continuity of care when you come back up. So because things go wrong, right? Even with good surgeons like we were talking about earlier. Well, if you go down to Columbia and then you come back here and something goes wrong, you're screwed. I mean, it's, you're going to go to an ER or you got to find a plastic surgeon here who will have no idea what you had done. It's, it's not easy to deal with always. Yeah. Okay. So I've been doing like six weeks so far of consecutive, 
about a lot of booty butt lift workouts, like Good five classes a week, I mean, class, five classes a week um, on this thing called Open Fit. Uh, if I keep doing this, <laughs> it, could I ever achieve the booty of this first family? No. Or is that that okay? So that is not achieved through working out. <laughs> I mean, in, rarely. I don't want. I don't want to say that working out can't change the body, make someone happy. But yeah, comparing to certain results that are out there in the public eye, no, you're not going to get that with an app like a fitness app. Definitely, maybe like or, a Facetune app. Yeah, yeah. It's, oh, that's funny. Or but any a, sort of, or any sort of uh, personal trainer, right? Right. It, but it's not. Again, I, I'm not saying like you can't. Like you can still get people can still transform their bodies in the gym and including the butt. But I'm saying for those really exaggerated results, I don't know that I've ever seen that accomplished from squats. I just feel like it's so unattainable. It's like, obviously they've all gotten the Kardashians have gotten high def lipo. And then on top of that, we've seen on the Instagram accounts, Ash, that they face tune on top of that. You know, without saying who's who has or hasn't had anything done, I think, Unfortunately, the, the ideal has been put out there and everyone or a lot of people are chasing it. I do kind of sense that it's changing a little bit. I sense that people have become aware of how insane it kind of got. And I think people are reining in it a little bit. More, more patients that I see now are, are chasing more of what I would call a natural looking aesthetic. They're not yeah. chasing the best ideal. I right. think that's a good thing. I think the past, like the in the last four years, everyone just started to look the same. It was like every girl on Instagram oh looked the, the exact same, and it was yeah, it was true. crazy. Like business must have been booming for you because well, it was, was insane. Girl? Yeah, there was this girl I saw that was Kim Card. Look, I thought it was Kim Kardashian, yeah. but it wasn't Kim Kardashian. It was like it was it was insane. And then that that picture that came out with Chloe that posted a couple days ago where she didn't look like Chloe. And wait, what was that all about? People wanted us to ask about that. Like, like, is that a Photoshop thing or did she do something in quarantine? I, I, I honestly, I don't know. I mean, listen, we all can take, I, I have a lot of pictures where I don't look like me in my phone. So, I mean, you it's, know, it's awesome. tell us, I, I mean, but I, but it's, tell us, I think she got her nose fixed because she got it done and it looks better in that picture. It struck me as something that was maybe a, a, a certain angle, whatever expression, and maybe a little bit of stuff done with Facetune or something like that. I, I don't know that because I think I saw a recent picture of her and she looked like Chloe. So I yeah. feel like it was just something that was maybe a combination of weird angles, lighting, makeup, you know, cause makeup. Her hair was darker. Yeah. yeah. It looked better on her. By the um, way, I'm glad this is just on radio. I just look, I look like Eddie Munster. I look tired. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, the plastic surgeons thinking he doesn't look that great. <laughs> what is the, the most common procedure you do? And what's the one that you dislike the most? So I would say breast and body contouring surgery is the thing I do the most commonly. Mm-hmm. Um, what do I dislike? Man, I really, honestly, there's no surgery I hate doing. I, I like doing everything. Um, I, I there's there might be things I like more. Like I really do enjoy the body contouring cases a lot. Mm-hmm. So I, without saying what I hate doing, I don't. There's nothing I'm like. Oh, if I hated doing, I wouldn't do it. You know? Okay. Um, but I really do like the body contouring ones since I kind of change what I do it just because it it's more. It's kind of art. It's it is a little artsy. It's fun. Yeah, it yeah. Is, there is an artistic element to it. I'm not just like a technician, you know, putting an implant in or whatever. Right. You um. Can we talk about arm lifts? I feel like arm lifts don't get enough um 
airtime. <laughs> they don't get enough love. They don't, they don't get, get like love. no one ever talks about it. And honestly, it's the first thing I would do if I went under a knife. Pro- Actually, not anymore because I went into the gym and transformed my body. So I take that back. You However, wouldn't, you wouldn't do an arm lift. I. I would have three months ago, 100%. I wouldn't have let you. That wouldn't. That would have been a bad idea. What? But why? And do people get them? Because I heard that they're really common, actually. Would you so, not be able to satisfy her? Is that yeah, the number three? I'm afraid I would not be able to meet your expectations. Oh, <laughs> wow. Well, no, so men is... rarely do, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. And scene. We're done. <laughs> no, so what I, what I was going to say, so arm lifts are traditionally... Um, reserved for massive weight loss patients who have like the huge bat wing of skin, of loose skin that's hanging down. Because an arm lift requires an incision, usually from starting from the armpit, going all the way down to the elbow, a big long incision right here. And then you basically take that skin, remove it and close that. And the scarring is not, no one likes that scar. No one. And you know, when you're a massive weight loss patient, it's, you'll take the scar because otherwise you have this big thing there. You can't live, but most patients who are coming in with just a little bit, I mean, it's, it's not a fair trade to get that better, but have a long scar. And it also has a higher incidence of what's called hypertrophic scarring. As much as 50% of patients will have a scar that gets thicker or thickened. Mm-hmm. In areas. So a lot of people aren't happy with it. There and then you are, really have to wear sleeves every day. Right. So now, fortunately, there are, like that thing I was telling you about earlier, that radiofrequency skin tightening technology, that has shown great promise for patients that have maybe a little bit of laxity that they want to address. That in combination with lipo can tighten up arms pretty well. So most people you are not going to want an arm lift or shouldn't get an arm lift. Okay. What about the armpit fat part? Like what is the fastest way to get rid of that without scarring? Um, well, we talked about Kybella. Yeah. Um, you know, you can do lipo of certain areas. The problem with that skin is it's not always the greatest at retracting, but if it's, if it's a prominent fat pocket, you can get at it with liposuction and skin tightening. The other thing to keep in mind, which I've seen some people do, I've never done it, but it seems innovative and I think it makes sense. You know, when people have like that little bit of armpit fat right by the arm and then there's like a divot and then it goes to their breast. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I have it. Right. Well, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I look at it every day. All right. Well, what some people do, and I'm not necessarily agree, but if, if it, let's say it's a patient who's coming in for breast augmentation, they'll have an implant or augmentation and then they'll graft fat up there. So it eases the transition mm. from where that is to the, to the breast. So that's right. kind of another way that it's kind of camouflaged. But so, it's a, that's a trouble area. Keep in mind, when you raise your arm up. It's tough. It's gone, right? If you raise your arm straight up, there's, you can't grab anything I there. know. So that's an area of, of – so we have to think about is areas where there are extension, rotation, whatever. The skin is going to be looser there because it has to be because it needs to be able to it stretch. It has to stretch, right? yeah. That's why that, that area sucks. It's so hard to like try to figure out how to get rid of it. And it, and it won't go away with workouts either, really. Yeah. I promise you, I, I mean, for what it's worth from a male perspective <laughs> – no guy cares. I, I, it's not for men. It's for me, first of all. I get all. it. I know. And I promise crazy. you, if you figured that was out... That I was a test. Yeah. You pass. Yeah. Okay. If you figured out a way to get rid of it without scarring that was seemingly affordable, you would... Your what bank define, account wait, wait, would triple. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Define seemingly affordable. Like not five thousand, okay. not five grand. I think under five grand. That's under what. Five, that's the cutoff for seemingly affordable. It's like, yeah, it's like, all right, twenty five hundred. I can make monthly payments. You know. <laughs> hey, I got you. All right. What did you? <laughs> no, if I'm picking the price, I'll I'll take free. Well, that but that that well, what I'm saying is for those patients, usually they're a combination of lipo and some sort of skin tightening technology, whether it's something called Body Tight, J Plasma, or Nuvian. Those things would be what I would tell you. 
We'll address the rest of this when Naz has her own personal consultation. Oh, oh wow. The shame. I've already the shame. myself in. Okay, so let's talk about implants. They're, they're your most popular thing. Right. When it comes to women who are planning on having children, say yes. they're already in their, you know, this is not the sweet 16 graduation gift type of implant. This is right. like mid-20s. Should they wait until after they have kids? So what I tell people, my, my word on this is, again, every, people are going to have differing opinions. Unless someone is actively trying to have a baby right then, or they're saying, I want to have a baby this year, or my, my partner and I are trying right now, I don't think there's any problem with going forward with it. Mm-hmm. Because if you're there, it's because it's something that bothers you and it's something that you want. So putting it off for that reason, for a hypothetical that may be down the road, however many years, I don't think it's necessary. It's fine if you want to. It's not, it's not the wrong answer, but I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't I would say someone, I think it's okay to move forward unless they're imminently planning. If they're imminently planning, then definitely wait. Because the reality actually is that you don't know, you you can't predict how pregnancy is going to affect the breast. Some women will have implants, they'll get pregnant and their breasts are fine afterward. They're still Mm -hmm. okay. You know, it's not like because they had implants before it ruined everything, not necessarily. So it's this, if this is about kind of doing something that someone wants for themselves to be confident and live their fullest, then there's no reason to put that off to tomorrow. You know, you can still breastfeed, right? Yeah, doesn't yeah, affect. Yeah, you can still breastfeed. Okay, so what about women who are at a higher chance of breast cancer? Should they be more apprehensive when it comes to getting implants? No, there's no there's no link between breast implants and breast cancer. But what about like not being able to see everything on a mammogram? So there's a mammographers use something called the distraction technique, which is a technique that they to how they do the mammogram, which you know still yields and adequate, obviously, surveillance of the breast. Keep in mind, there's 300,000 women a year in the United States alone who get breast augmentation. So you have a huge population of women out there who have breast implants. So it's not like it's a new thing that someone needs to kind of figure out how to do surveillance and so on and so forth. So you can still get surveillance. You can still breastfeed. But those issues are not are not compromised. So the last... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Ness. I was just going to say... You know, growing up, like I knew about saline and silicone. I haven't really paid a lot of attention to like progression or technological advances in plastic surgery. But like, give us like the new shit on the horizon. Like what's coming out next year and the year after. With implants? With anything anything in your profession. What are you excited about? Like, are there new fillers that will do what other fillers haven't? Okay. Other, like, less invasive procedures? Like, Lauren did threads a couple months ago. And a lot of people said that they don't like threads. But, like, Lauren's looks fantastic. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, a couple things. Let's talk with injectables. One new filler that just came on the market by Restylin is called KISS. It's spelled K-Y-S-S-E. And it's a great, it's a new lip filler. And the, what makes it kind of exciting is it employs the technology, which is uh, better in areas of movement. If you'll notice people that get lip filler, a lot of times when they smile or with movement, it, does, it doesn't move as naturally or look as natural. Kiss is designed to, to give people that fullness and that hydration, the plumpness of the lip, but still a natural look, okay, which is just what a lot of people want. So that's kind of a new technology of filler that people are excited about. My, my uh, nurse injector loves it and she's I'm not trying to just plug her. She's Olivia's amazing at lips, but she loves that product. And I, and I've seen definitely a difference for the right, for the right people with that. So certain fillers have different technologies that way. 
Um, as far as threads, I, you know, I'm not a huge fan of threads, but I think they can be effective. They, people can be happy with them, but it's temporary. People have to, you know, I, I tell people, think of it as you would a filler. It's going to be a temporary thing. Um, it doesn't replace surgery. I think for people that are younger and maybe you're looking for something more subtle, it's a reasonable thing to try. Um, definitely want to go to someone who's experienced with it because they have, you know, threads can get spit up. People you know, can have asymmetries. You know, there are, there are potential issues with it. I'm not a huge fan of it, but God bless you, Lauren. If you had a good result, good for you. <laughs> It was uh, a rough recovery, actually. Yeah, uh, it can be. And, the, and and it kind of is a segue into sort of in a global sense what the cutting edge things are. So the the movement in plastic surgery is going to things that are non-invasive. So the, yeah. the goal is to is for non-surgical solutions to what were traditionally surgical situations. So, you know, threads is an example of that. It's sort of you're not you're not quite a facelift candidate, but you want to lift somewhere, for example, then you do a thread. The thing I was talking about earlier, Renuvion or body tight, those are radio frequency heat technologies which are designed to tighten skin without having a big incision. You know, a tummy tuck is a big incision to essentially, in part, tighten the skin, the skin on your stomach. So the, the new things that are coming out are things that are trying to replace surgery. If I'm being honest, none of them is, is a panacea yet. In most cases, they're good complements to surgery, but they're not replacements for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but we, you know, like for example, the arm thing that you're talking about, we have things now that we didn't have that were effective five or 10 years ago. Absolutely. So there are some promising things there, but I'm still waiting for like that. Holy shit thing. We haven't mm-hmm. had that. Yet. I'll tell you, you guys will be the first to know. Thank you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> what about tear trough fillers? A lot of people are into that right now. I guess I get kind of worried because you know what looks worse than being like indented here and having dark looking circles? Yeah. Having that puff. The puff right. is like way worse. <laughs> like what I have basically? The no, you do not have that at all. Yeah, None of us have it. But I'm talking about like those old guys who have like just I'll give you the quick and dirty on, or try to make it quick on lower eyelids and when we do surgery or when we do filler, et cetera. So the tear trough is the junction between the eyelid and the cheek. Okay. That's where the eyelid and cheek meet. And for a lot of people, I mean, you can see, I clearly have a loss of volume there. And as some people are born without volume there, this, they have a congenital tear trough. Some people, as they age, the volume starts to drop and it becomes more apparent. And then, but the other thing you have to think of, there's other variables. There's also fat in our lower eyelid. And for some people, it's not necessarily that the tear trough is that pronounced, is that they have big bulging pieces of fat in their lower eyelid. And for those people, the treatment would be to have a surgery where you remove the fat. Mm-hmm. For other people, it's like, yeah, they may have a little bit of fat there, but the tear trough is really it. They don't want to have surgery. And so you can place a filler to sort of mask that crevice so that where the lid meets the cheek is a little bit smoother. It's, very, it's a very delicate procedure to do. And so you, you know, definitely want to go to someone experienced, but it can be very effective. It can be a very effective way to make a subtle and refreshing change to the eye. But it's again, not permanent. This is a filler and it'll go away with time. And there are risks to fillers. Um, a lot of times with surgery, you'll take fat out from the lower eyelid and you'll add fat in there. So you're doing both. You're putting the fat, which is like a real filler, you know, life, the lifetime filler in that space. Now, the other thing that people don't understand is dark circles is something different. That's a pigment problem. So the, yeah. if you have dark circles, it may not be a volume problem. There's just pigment in your skin. And that's things like blanching cream, sometimes lasers, different treatments to, to lighten the skin because a lot of times it's just their skin is darker there. But I will so say when I – the one time I did have it done under there, I had very dark circles and the color went away with the filler. So the, Right. So sometimes you have dark circles which are light reflection. So there's if you have a crevice like this – and I know people can't see because they're on the – if they're listening, but if there's a if there's a, 
a deep trough there, it casts a light. When the light comes down, it casts a shadow, which looks like a dark circle when it's not a pigment issue. So when you smooth that out, the light doesn't reflect anymore. And so you don't see that darkness, but it's actually not pigment in the skin. Science. All shadows. It's art. I'm going full (laughs) nerd. I'm going full Full nerd. Oh, All right, do we have one more question for yeah, him? Yeah, Ashley. I was, was going to say, do you guys have one more question for him? Because I technically I have one more question for him. All right, then you do your one more question. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. Actually, I have more than one, but I'll, tra- I'll choose one. Okay. Um, do you think, how has Instagram and social media changed your profession? And is it a good thing or a bad thing what you're seeing from people coming in requesting things from social media? Okay, my I'm everyone's gonna have a bias here. I think it's mostly a good thing, and and I'll explain why. So first of all, from a marketing standpoint, it's it's an easy way to reach a lot of people for less money than what we traditionally had to do. So f- as a as a marketing tool, it's an excellent way to get outreach. Second, it's an excellent way to have a real time discussion with people about things because it's a day to day thing. It's a it's a dynamic profile. It's not like a website which just stays the same. You know, you can change the conversation every day, so you can constantly interact and educate. And so, I see patients now when they come in; they've already seen the pictures. They don't need to see pictures, and they're so much more informed than they ever were. They've watched the surgery, they've seen before and afters. So it really streamlines the process. So that aspect of it is awesome. I love it. And you can show some personality. There's a lot of great surgeons out there and it's great to have an opportunity to to look in on a surgeon and see what their personality is, see if they're kind of an asshole or if they're arrogant or if you, mm-hmm. if you feel like you jive with them because I think, I did just say jive, but I think it's important just because how these are people, this is a surgeon you're going to have to trust with something very serious and they're going to be a big part of your life for a while. So you want to, it, it has to be someone you, you kind of like, you got to like their team. The bad part of Instagram is a couple things. One that you won't hear of a lot. There's a lot of entitled people out there. And so you'll get a lot of people who just expect you to answer every DM and why are, why are you know, just giving you all like, they, they, things are so much at people's fingertips that now we're at an age where they'll just go right to a professional and demand information. It's like, that's why we have consults. Like I can't do a consult over DM. Like it's very entitled. Um, and you know, they, if they're mad, if you don't respond to their comment, things like that. And then the other thing, like you said, is like you talked about is the ideal. Are we creating false ideals? That's, that's, that's a tricky area. And then trolls, everyone deals with trolls. So, and some of the trolls are surgeons. (laughs) <laughs> oh no no like no one's i've never had a necessarily someone troll me but i've had i have surgeons that blocked me on instagram i don't even, I've, never, I've never even met him i had one guy block me because he said i he, it was a guy i was friends with at the time i i, I mean he's, he's still a friend when i see him i say hi but he blocked me because he accused me of copying his profile which was ludicrous. no way yeah and i'm like what are we 10 it was so bizarre so you just you see a lot of cattiness on it it's crazy you get a lot of girls slipping your DMs just trying to date you because you're a surgeon? Not really. I really don't. I mean, it's not, I, I don't really, and I have like staff now that kind of will peek into my DMs. So it's like, you got to keep that playing around in the oh, damn. Down in the DM. <laughs> I actually do have one last question. I don't know if you can answer it, but when you were talking about um, the kiss, the new sort yes. of innovative filler, what is it like kissing someone with lip filler? I wonder. Um, I mean, it depends on how much they've had and who did it, but I mean, you can, <laughs> like, does it a lot. feel natural and the same? Not always. No. I mean, it, mm. I mean, it can Are feel. Are you speaking I'm, from experience or studies? 
I don't know if there's a study that's looked at this, but I mean, I've heard, I've been, I've been told that sometimes it can feel like a little firm piece of rubbery something or other. It can, it can feel unnatural. If, they've, if, they, if someone's been overfilled, I mean, it, it can feel a little bit off. Wow. Yeah. But if it's done right, it feels natural. Enlightening. Well, thank That's you so much. Fantastic last so question, Naz. Really, really fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Daughter Canal. Do you say it's Ganal? Galanis. Did you almost call me Ganalis just now, Ash? That yep, Galanis. Galanis, I was going to say. Yeah, I'm sorry. Galanis, Galanis. All right. You guys can check him out online. Uh, where can they follow you on Instagram? It's just uh, Charles Glanis, MD. Okay. Well, I A-L-A-N-I-S. hope that you get some more followers after this. G-A-L-A-N-I-S is the right. last. And so, um, tell people, Alanis Morissette with a G, but then I realized that's really dating myself, so I can't really say that anymore. People are like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right. Thank you so much for being on. You answered all of our questions so well, so thoroughly. And uh, we'll be in your office soon for in-person consultations. <laughs> awesome, guys. It was great to see you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Bye. Bye-bye. I don't get it. Podcast.